1: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Alice Su, the economist senior China correspondent based in Taipei. And I'm here with my co-host, David Rennie, the economist Beijing bureau chief. In 2019, a mining town called Hegang in China's northeastern province of Heilongjiang went viral for having the lowest house prices of any big city in the country.
0: While some wondered whether its $3,000 apartments were a hoax, others saw an opportunity. Some young people began buying apartments, moving to Hegang, and live-streaming from there about a new kind of life. So I traveled to Hegang to find out more.
1: This week, we're asking, why would people move to China's cheapest city? What is life like for them when they get there? And does Hugang offer people a way out of the affordability crisis in China's big cities?
0: This is Drum
1: From The Economist.
0: Hi, Alice. It feels like it's been a while. How have you been? What have you been up to?
1: I also feel like it's been ages. I've been traveling. So last week I was on a reporting trip. Now I'm a little bit sick because I came back and went straight into a lot of outdoor activity and then work. I've really enjoyed listening to your cultural revolution story from last week's episode. And I've also been enjoying seeing discussion and responses to the special report on Taiwan here in Taiwan. And David, how are you?
0: Good. It's been busy for the first time since before the pandemic. We have some editors in town. We've been taking them around for meetings. It's kind of remembering what it's like to have visitors.
1: Yeah, amazing. They just come in. They don't need to do tests, quarantine or anything.
0: I know. I keep sort of saying like tedious things like, you know, if we'd been here a few weeks ago, you'd have needed a health code and a mask <laughs> and to scan things. I realize that they, I just sound like a kind of mad old man. <laughs>
1: it must just feel very strange. But I look forward to hearing about what they see and and what they make of how much China has changed since the last time they were able to get in there. So let's talk about Hegang, which is this really interesting place that you went to last week, David. It's known online for being China's cheapest city. And A lot of people know about it because of a blog post that this one guy wrote in 2019. This guy named Li Hai. He was working on boats, so half of the year he wasn't at home. And he wrote this blog post that said, "'I wandered to Hegang and I bought a house for 50,000 RMB. No matter if it's good or bad, you still have to buy a home.' If you think about that pricing, it's said that the average price of housing there is $300 per square meter, which is 40 times cheaper than housing prices in Shenzhen, the big tech city in southern China. So, David, last week you decided to go to Hegang. Why did you go at this time?
0: It was really intriguing that once it went viral as a cheap place, one of the lines he saw was, you know, this idea of like cabbage price homes, because these are homes for like three, four, five thousand dollars 5000 I thought that would be a story about affordability and how hard it is to buy a place to live. Because Hurgang is not an obvious place to move. It's way up near the Russian border. It's really cold in winter. And most of the big mines have already closed.
1: Yeah, I have to say, you know, when I saw that this town was up in Dongbei, I was a little bit taken aback because it's not typically a place that a lot of young people in China want to move to. But David, what was it like when you arrived? You know, tell me, what did you see?
0: Alice, you have to imagine... There's some giant coal mines, only a few of them are still open, right in the middle of town, these huge industrial complexes, factory chimneys, still some have Maoist slogans about industry study dashing. And then you have these quite new apartment buildings that were built in the last few years, kind of yellow and orange painted, marching away in long, long, long lines. They're not fantastically kind of luxurious apartments, they're public housing, basically for retired miners. And it's like so many old school cities go to a sort of main square, and there's a whole bunch of pensioners out dancing in the middle of the day to keep fit mm-hmm. and to have fun. Three <laughs> different sound systems, each playing their own tune at the same time. And no one seems to mind that it's like this total cacophony. And it's almost all women dancing, but like occasionally a kind of older guy just doing his own thing, having a dance. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, it is so classic and so old school China. that clashing of soundtracks, it really brings me back to this park I used to run around close to where I lived, where they also always had at least three or four different dance groups playing completely different tunes, and nobody cared, and nobody seemed to be bothered by it, except people like me. But it is remarkable that there are a lot of people moving there, because as you said, you know, it doesn't seem like a place with a lot of job opportunities. So I'm guessing that the main reason, the main draw is because people read these blog posts and heard that housing is cheap. And that is particularly important right now, right? Because there is this huge affordability crisis in China.
0: That's right. So if you're the World Bank or the United Nations, and you're trying to work out whether housing in any country is affordable or not. They basically look at the average disposable income. And then you basically divide the average house price by the average disposable income. How many years would it take to save up all of your disposable income if you want to buy a place to live? the World Bank and others say anything over five years of saving all of your income makes the place unaffordable. Now, in the last generation, the affordability of China has got four times worse. And so now in the bigger cities like Beijing, you're looking at 20 years saving all of your income to be able to buy a place. And so that's worse even than somewhere like London or New York.
1: Yeah, that is crazy. And, you know, in China, Owning a home is so important, right? It's not only about having a place to live, but it's also this major step you take when you become established as an adult. And a lot of people expect for example, that if their daughters are going to get married, they must find a man who has a home and has a car. You know, fang. that's like the bare minimum, right? And a lot of families you know, save all of their money so that they can help their child buy that first apartment. There's even this song that was in the Spring Festival Gala in 2011 about how important it is to have a car and to buy an apartment. Yeah. So you can see why it is just so important to have a home in China, because it becomes this basic step you must pass in in order to be fully established.
0: And that's even more stressful, right? In a country where, because of the one-child policy and a massive gender skew, there's 30 million more men than women. And so if you have a son, it's all the more stressful. I interviewed an estate agent, Yang Yunpeng, who said this really interesting thing about what motivates his buyers. He said that of all the kind of hundred or so apartments he's been selling a year at this very low end, only about 30% of his buyers actually intend living full-time in Hergang and making a new life there. And the ones who do go there, they often leave after the first winter because it gets down to like minus 30 centigrade oh. <laughs> and it gets dark at three in the afternoon and the streets are empty by six and so a lot of people can't take it. He said there's another really interesting group of people who don't actually intend to buy a place, but it's the only city in China where they have any hope of owning property. They might work in a factory on one of the big cities on the coast of China, live in a dormitory, and maybe visit Hergang for a month or two to renovate the flats they have bought, and then they leave again. But he said the idea of just owning somewhere is an emotional comfort, because they may never be able to buy a house in Beijing or Shanghai or
1: Guangzhou. What Mr. Liang is saying, it's a psychological comfort. It's just this idea that you have a place that belongs to you, and it's a place you can go back to. But also... It's the only place where you can actually afford to have a place to call your own. So Hugong is kind of a life hack to get you to that state where you have an apartment and there are people who are talking about it online and saying it's not just about finding a home but once you find a new home you become a new you. For example, there's this one guy, you know, his online name is Zheng Qian and he moved to Hugong and then he became a realtor and he posted this video talking about how, you know, 4 years ago he was just a regular salesman in, in, in Guangzhou. But now he is in Hugong. He, he is selling apartments to people from all over the country, helping them find new meaning in their lives. And it kind of brings new meaning to his life as well in some ways, it's a promotional video, right, that he's making for the city. But I'm curious about the people you met who moved to Hugang. You know, are they looking for this life hack as well? You know, are they looking to transform their lives or are they just going because the housing is affordable?
0: So Alice, to be clear, some people who move to Hugang, it doesn't work for them. And one of the things that goes wrong is that, yes, the apartment costs very little money, but things like Heating is really expensive in the winter. Some people start their own businesses, and that's another whole risk. But the really interesting thing that I realized once I started talking to people in Hergang is that once you get past the cheapness of a place to buy, actually, this is about people having a new start, making a fresh beginning. And of course, everyone's reason for wanting a fresh start is unique to them. There's so many interesting personal reasons about why people make this quite dramatic move. And that reveals so much about the pressures of life in China today.
1: In a moment, we'll meet the people who've made Hegang their home and find out what motivated them to move there. But first, we'd like the help of our listeners. On Drum Tower, David and I are used to asking the questions, but now it's your turn. We're planning an episode where we answer your questions on China. We'll tackle any subject, whether it's about society, politics, or culture, or about how we make the podcast, Although, David, I think you agree that you fully explained your pronunciation of COVID and the door is shut on that, right?
0: I think that's best. (laughs) But whatever else you'd like to know about what's going on inside China, we'll try and answer. So send your questions to drum at economist.com. And we're looking forward to answering them.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. So, David, you went to Gang and you met all these people who had moved there. What did you learn from them?
0: All the different people I met, I guess three big things jump out. The first thing, it's not just how much you earn that generates inequality in China. It's there's a huge difference between whether your parents were from the countryside and you moved to a big city or whether you are from the big city and maybe your parents and grandparents own apartments that they were given or bought when they were super cheap. And that is just an absolutely insurmountable divide. Some of the most interesting people I talked to had spent quite a long time in a big city like Beijing, where I am right now. One guy I met, he now has just opened a little burger bar, but he used to work in a travel agency in Beijing. He had colleagues who are from Beijing, whose parents and grandparents are from Beijing. And they just had totally different trajectories because there was this moment, as you remember, Alice, in the 1990s, when they privatized the public housing. If you worked in a state-owned enterprise or you were an official, you could end up with a basically almost free apartment being given to you. And those apartments now, it's really easy for them to be worth a million US dollars, even more. And so you can have two people working side by side on the same low salary, but one of them, in terms of capital, they're worth millions. And so this burger guy, when he was at the travel agency, their job was to take people to places like Moscow, and he'd actually studied Russian at college. And he noticed something about the seemingly really ordinary Beijingers who could afford to go on his tour.
1: Well, wow, So even from this guy's description of the tourists that he's taking around in Russia, you can tell that, you know, if they're coming from Beijing, if they're really Beijingers, they have it pretty good because he describes how, you know, going from Beijing to Moscow costs about 10,000 yuan per person, which is... About 1400 dollars, and if it's a whole family going, it's going to cost you know three to four thousand dollars for that trip. and so he's saying these Beijingers they tend to have two or three flats already. they have a fairly relaxed life, and they also collect higher pensions.: Exactly, Alice. actually Mr. Hao told me a funny
0: story to illustrate just the life of a native Beijinger. So Mr. Ha's poor colleague he's talking about, this is a guy who represents two giant trends. One is how lucky it is to be born a native Beijinger and how if you don't jump on that property ladder as it soars upwards, you're doomed. So poor Mr. Ha's colleague who's from Beijing, but he still lived with his parents. He's like, how can you still live with your parents? 10 years earlier, his parents had a big pot of money because they were native Beijingers. Maybe they got a privatized apartment at some point. And they said, we can help you buy a nice flat by the fourth ring road. And he goes, no, I'd rather have a nice car. And now 10 years on, he has a 10-year-old car, which is worth nothing. House prices have risen so much he can never buy in Beijing. And so he's still living with his parents.
1: This just says so much about how Whether you make it or not in China, a lot of it does still have to do with if you were lucky enough to be born into the right position. When I'm listening to these stories, I just keep thinking these people could have been my landlords when I was renting in Beijing. But if you don't make the right decisions, also you fall behind.
0: that brings me to the second thing I learned in Hergang, which was a surprise, because all the Chinese social media coverage has been about outsiders moving all the way across China to live in Hergang. But actually, probably a bigger group is people from Hergang originally who left often to go to college because there's no university in Gang, But they moved back because it was the one place where they could buy a home or start a business. Just after I talked to the old people who were square dancing in that big square we heard earlier, and they were saying how they welcome young people coming back because there are no young people. I saw this hipster barbershop in the middle of this old retired miners' apartment complex, and I went and met Wang Dekai. He's quite the guy. He's got his like hip-hop artist bucket hat. The whole thing is tricked out. He's got his social media kit in the corner for doing little videos. And he told me that he'd spent about 10 years out of her gang. He is originally from that town, but he wants to come back because he wants to open his own barbershop. He couldn't afford to do that in a big city. And so he's now back. One of his big customer bases is people who do online streaming videos because they need to have good hair. And he was a fantastic hustler. So I said, do you mind if I interview you? I'm going to do a column, but also I have a podcast. Can I interview on tape? And he's going, sure. But if you're going to interview me on tape, then I want to do a little video of you because I want to have a foreigner in the chair And then I said, Well, I've got to go. And he goes, Okay, we can just fake it. So we we did this like fake haircut. (laughs) He was filming the whole thing with the ring light, the smartphone. You say, You know, I've only ever had Russians in this chair, never had a British guy in the chair before. The whole thing, he was telling me about how his scissors are all imported. No rubbish. It's all from Britain. It's all from America. It's a seriously cool barber's shop. (laughs)
1: I love how you're making small talk with him about the weather as he fake cuts your hair. That's what
0: you do in a barber's chair. Isn't that what everyone does in a barber's chair?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, too bad that I know it's fake. I was going to say your hair looks good. But yeah, I guess all he did was kind of spray it and blow dry it a bit. This guy he really does sound like a hustler, and that's funny to me to see, because a lot of what the Chinese podcasts and blog posts about this town were saying was that, oh, it's a place to Tang Ping, it's a place to lie flat." Like people are trying to opt out of the rat race. This guy was still working hard.:
0: That's exactly right. You put your finger on something because a lot of the Chinese social media and internet commentary about Hu gang, it puts them into that thing. You said, Tang Ping, lying flat. You know, people basically say, the pressure of life, the rat race. All this kind of chasing after material goods is getting too much for me i 'm going to drop out, but when you use that phrase in her gang and say, "Are you dropping out? Are you lying flat?" they really push back because they think you're saying they're lazy mm
1: Right. So he's saying we're not lying flat. We're all hustling. We're all working really hard. And I hear you asking him, oh, is it because Tang Ping means lazy? And I guess it is a little bit sad that Tang Ping originally is this term that went viral online because this young person wrote a blog post about it and was saying, I choose to just lie flat. I choose to opt out of this constant cutthroat competition. And it was almost like a passive way to resist the rat race of modern day life in China, if you will. But it sounds like these guys in Hagong were seeing it almost as a derogatory term.
0: That's right. And don't forget, state media and the propaganda machine have started using lying flat as a kind of term of abuse for exactly that, for being lazy. One of my favorite bits is when I was asking the barber, his customer suddenly kind of said, oh, you know, he he has opinions too, because it's a barber shop, right? Everyone's got an opinion. And so they started talking about it, which was slightly against the we are not lying flat thing. They were like, yeah, one of the nice things about her gang is that if you've made like a two, 300 renminbi in the day, you don't have to worry too much. You maybe could knock off work. Not like in Beijing where you'd have to keep working.
1: Yeah, so it's like a place where you do still have to hustle, but not as much as a big city like Beijing or Shanghai. But David, you know, you mentioned that some of these people, they had been working for many years in Beijing and other major cities. I mean, did they miss that kind of big city life?
0: Absolutely. You know, that's one of the interesting things that's even generating Some businesses for attorneys. So I went to one of two hipster coffee shops that are sitting opposite each other, and most of their customers are people who've either moved back permanently from other big cities or from college towns or who are back for spring festivals. Suddenly they like get packed with Hergang natives who come back to see their parents or grandparents and they want that good coffee because Hergang is a small enough town that it doesn't have anywhere to get a decent cup of coffee. So one place we hung out, uh, I thought of you, Alice, because the owners, they're called Mr. and Mrs. Wang. They have the same surname. And so it's called Gerby, their place. And they have a pet corgi and a pet cat. And so I just sent you a picture of the tote bags they had made, because I know Gary the corgi is a big part of life where you are.
1: Oh, my gosh. So cute. (laughs) Gerby Cafe. It's like a little corgi holding a cup of coffee and holding hands with a cat that's holding a piece of cake.
0: That's right. They have very cool cups. They've had maybe like Hergang, the name of the city on in kind of characters. It's a really nice place. The coffee is, I will say, excellent. And also, they work super hard because the wife was kind of running out the door every five seconds with a new birthday cake because she has another line selling birthday cakes. And one of the really revealing things is that this coffee shop stays open till 11 at night. And that's not because people want to get caffeinated, you know, just before bedtime. It's because... A lot of places in gang it's got that Northeast vibe. They close at really early in the evening. So if you have that big city mindset, you want somewhere to gather. So it's almost like a kind of haven for people. And so you see people with bright red dyed hair or people dressed a bit like hipsters hanging out in this cafe for hours and hours nursing a cup of mocha.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, what that says to me is just that it's not only about people wanting to move somewhere because homes are cheap. It's also about people wanting autonomy to go somewhere and to still live the life that they want to live. And I actually, you know, when I was researching for this episode, I listened to a Chinese language podcast where there was a 24-year-old woman from Nanjing who moved to Hegong to make a life for herself and her five cats. And I think what stuck with me was when they were speaking with her, she was saying, she wanted to start a new life for herself and she wanted to get away from family pressure, you know, she doesn't care about getting married and in fact after she moved to Hugang, she even changed her name. You know, now that she has a home of her own, she can make her own choices. Actually, it's really interesting. She says, like, why do I need to get married? I don't want to lower my quality of life. (laughs) Like, why should I add another person? I'm happy just here with my cats. You know, cats are enough.
0: You remember that real estate agent, uh, Liang Yunpeng? He had something really interesting to say about this, because, you know, most of his customers are men, but he has a solid chunk of women coming on their own, which is, you remember, Alice, that's unusual in China to make that kind of a big move, but they got some savings and they want to buy their own place.
1: Right, so I can hear Mr. Liang there telling you most of his clients are men, but some of them are women, and some of them have come to Hegang to escape their marriages, or because they have disputes at home, or maybe because they just felt pressure in life is too high and they want to move to a smaller place with a, a slower pace.
0: That really highlights the third thing that I learned in Hergang, which is that money, of course, is why a cheap city matters. But once you can afford to buy somewhere, you get autonomy, you get your independence. That is unbelievably important in a place like China, especially for, say, single mothers or divorced women who don't want to be dependent on their families or some ex-husband. One really impressive person I met in Hergang is a vlogger who calls herself Hua Hua. She's in her mid-twenties now and she's looking after her 10-year-old sister. She's been looking after her sister since she was a teenager because her mother is mentally impaired, lives in a home. Hua sends money every month to help for her care. Their father was killed in an accident by a drunk driver, and then her uncle stole her inheritance. So she had this little pot of money, and that was enough to do some research online. She saw how cheap places were, and she moved up to her gang with her sister. So I met her, and she was in this apartment Filled with cats, because one of her many hustles is cats sitting. I like cats, but I have to admit it was five cats in a quite small apartment, so it was kind of feline. She described this apartment as like a harbour, a haven of her own.
1: Yeah.
0: So she's explaining there a whole bunch of reasons, some of them kind of more serious than others. So she talks about liking snow. She's from thousands of miles south from the province of Jiangxi. And she chose gang, saw it online, and it was really pretty in winter. then she talks about wanting a slower pace of life because she tried living in Shenzhen way down south, had too fast a pace of life that she couldn't get used to. But even if the pace of life is slower in gang, she has like five different jobs. (laughs) Baho <laughs> mm-hmm. is just explaining her many, many jobs because she arrived last summer. She spent about $10,000 to buy an apartment for her and her sister. She started by opening this ice jelly stand in the summer, but then it quickly got too cold. So she opened a jianbing, like a savory pancake stand. But then it got so cold that the eggs froze solid in the street and there weren't that many customers. So she now does a whole mix. She has her online videos. Cat sitting. She also talks about like how nice people were in Hergang. They kind of help out, giving her sister clothes and shoes and stuff. And so she feels that she's found a place that gives her the autonomy she's been looking for.
1: Mm, and is that kind of a trend that you saw, especially with other women who had moved to Hergang?
0: When I met Hua Hua, she had a new friend with her in the apartment, sitting on the sofa with one of the cats. She's called Longfang. And she told me her story that she's 30 years old. She just moved up from way down south in the province of Guangdong. And she has a five-year-old daughter. She's a single mother. Her daughter's mixed race. The father isn't in their lives. And she didn't want to just float around with a kid. She came across Her Gang online by complete chance. And because being a single mum is hard, she thought, if I come there to Her Gang, I can give her a home. So I asked Long Feng... How much of this is an economic decision? She goes, that's part of it. But a lot of people who come to Hegang, they all have their dramas. You know, many of them come from broken homes. They either don't have families or they have bad relationships with their families.
1: Well, I'm really struck by her vulnerability. And I think, you know, what she shows is that Hugang it's not only a place for hustlers with dreams, but it's also a harbor for people who need to escape and to find a place where they feel like they can survive on their own. So, David, you know, we've just been talking about all these different individuals you met in Hegang, but I'm curious, what does the local government there think about this trend? Do they support it?
0: They were kind of embarrassed at first at being China's cheapest city. They didn't like that label at all. They really wanted to talk about like a big new graphite mine that's going to supply car battery makers. But actually, the last year, they've embraced it because Hugang needs new people to arrive because uh, it's lost so many people over the last decade. And so they've now put internet celebrity economy in the city's Mm. uh, work report. They've opened, well, they're about to open a WeWork space. So if you want to start doing online influencing or selling, they'll give you a rent-free place to work for the first year. So they're actually quite into the idea of trying to attract newcomers.
1: Huh. That's really interesting. I I mean, do you think this is a sustainable plan, though? I mean, a lot of the people you met talk about how they're making online videos, they're cat sitting. How long can this kind of work last? And can it really solve the, the wider problem of the affordability crisis in China?
0: So I think it's sustainable for individuals. So if you're like Hua Hua, who just heard the fact that she has five different jobs and that some of them involve the nationwide economy online, that's her way of surviving in a place with very low local salaries. But if your question is about everyone in China who needs an affordable life, clearly so many people have gone viral from her gang. Their whole shtick is, I move from the south to this place that's crazy cold and is crazy cheap, but you can't have a million people doing that. So it's not a solution for very large numbers.
1: Right. And it also makes me think of this larger trend of the big cities are getting unaffordable and the government wants to encourage people to move to smaller places. But there's a problem of once you go there, you know, what are you going to do?
0: That's right. So the story for the last 30, 40 years has been trying to change how much you can earn. So people move from a small village to a big factory town. They move from a small town, study as hard as they can, get into a good university and try and get a new life as a professional in a big city. But the problem is that you can earn as much salary as you like. But if you're in a city like Beijing or Shanghai and you don't have family capital behind you, you're never going to get there. So if you look at an apartment in Beijing, of 100 square meters. So, you know, a pretty sizable apartment. That is now 1 million US dollars in Beijing. And that is 34 years of the average Beijing salary. So that's basically the same as saying it's impossible. So what we are seeing, as you're right, Alice, is this interesting thing that actually some of those small to big flows are getting much more complicated because people are realizing if owning an apartment is important to them, they're going to have to go somewhere smaller
1: yeah you know when you're telling the story in some ways, it, it just sounds so familiar and I think very relatable to a lot of young people all over the world, right This idea of maybe in the past, older generations that you work hard and you move up to the next level and that was a possibility and everyone was striving for that. But nowadays it's like maybe you live close to San Francisco and then you think, okay, there's just no way I could ever afford to buy a home here unless I have some kind of privilege already or you know I have my family backing me And even when we listen to those voices of individuals, especially the young people in Hugong saying, I just want to get away from the pressures and the expectations of the rat race. It reminds me kind of of this, you know, quiet quitting thing that we see in the West. It's a very familiar story in many ways.
0: But of course, there's a Chinese sort of characteristics, right? Because not only is China just another whole level of unaffordable, even compared to someone like San Francisco or London or New York, but you also have this tension between people... Do they get to have an individual dream? Remember we talked about it in an episode recently? Or is it like the collective dreams? One of the fascinating ironies of Hurgang is this city sprung up in the middle of nowhere near the Russian border because central planners found that it was a place to mine stuff like coal or other minerals. And central planners have a vision of how to make Hurgang survive after the coal runs out by making it into green infrastructure and things. That hasn't stopped 100,000 people leaving in the last decade. And these numbers moving in it's only like 4,000 incomers bought houses last year. So I think the way to understand hergang is that it's a window on the pressure that the system is under. So any safety valve becomes important. And that phrase that you and I have heard so many times going around China and talking to people, you know, Yali that idea of just like the pressure of life is just really unbearable in China. That's true in so many places, but in China, it's just taken to another level.
1: Yeah, David, you're absolutely right that the pressures of life in China are uniquely intense. But I think what really strikes me about Hegang, especially after hearing about all these individual stories, is that all these people are dealing with all kinds of pressure, you know, housing affordability, family pressure, pressure on women to perform and behave a certain way. But they all came to this city on their own. And, you know, Hegang is kind of a place where Chinese individuals are building their own harbor and it's not a place that the state designated for them. It just reminds me yet again that China is a place of individuals with individual agency and autonomy and they are always still trying to find their own way.
0: Thank you to everyone who's emailed us recently. You can write to us at drum at especially if you have a question you'd like to submit for our upcoming listeners Q&A episode.
1: And if you want to read more about HeGang, you'll find David's column on our website. You can also read our cover story this week, which is about China's ambitions for a multipolar world and a story that I wrote about how China is trying to normalize its crimes in Xinjiang. If you are a subscriber already, thank you. And if you're not a subscriber, you can visit economist.com slash drum offer for a special introductory rate.
0: Thank you for listening to Drum Talk.
1: Our editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barkley Brand produced this episode. Sound design is by Tingley Lim, and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. Our executive producer is Marguerite Howell.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall—